This is Jessica Pate, your host for Brave Together podcast. I am here to serve, encourage, and inspire you in your journey as a special needs mom. This is your tribe. This is your community, your place to be reminded that you are not alone. Please follow along as I share stories, inspiration, and resources just for you. friends. Today, I am really happy to share the show with Dr. Lawrence Braslow, child psychiatrist, who is actually Ryan's psychiatrist, and I highly recommend him to anyone who's here in our area of Southern California. He just is so sharp and is so caring and really knows his stuff. So we are welcoming him to the show today. You ready? I am ready. Okay. Hi, my name is Dr. Larry Braslow, and I'm a child psychiatrist, and I've been practicing child psychiatry in the South Bay for about 20 years now, long enough to see kids grow up, have kids, and even see some of their kids. So it's been kind of interesting seeing families grow up and seeing them across their kind of different stages in their development. So anyway, I've been a child psychiatrist in private practice. Um, my background is, is that in college, I majored in creative writing. So I have this kind of background in storytelling and attended Cedar sinai which at the time, and I think it still is somewhat, was really focused on psychodynamic psychotherapy. And the head of the child psychiatry department at the time was one of the pioneers in family therapy, which kind of brings me back to the role of the child psychiatrist, in my view, is to build a story, kind of co-creating a narrative, if you will, with the parents and the child and myself. So building, out of building that story to get an idea how, if and how medications might fit into that story and be a part of it. Um, so anyway, it's not just the pill is the point I'm trying to make that the pill, you know, the medication, if we go that direction is in the context of the child, the family, his community, and oftentimes, you know, with the therapist as well. So I started out doing a lot of therapy, but because the way child psychiatry is evolved, I find myself doing a lot more medication support. So it's, Oftentimes with the kids that I do see, it's a team between myself, the therapist, and the child and his community and his world. So it's not just a pill. I just want to reinforce that so the parents, when they come to a child psychiatrist, is not with the idea that, okay, it's just a pill that this is going to make everything better and make all the problems go away. The other question that was brought up by Jessica is when to medicate. And the when question is when any kind of possible risk or concerns about the medication are starting to be outweighed by the risks of not medicating. Because most of the conditions or why kids come to me, they tend to be chronic. It's not like an infection you treat with an antibiotic and you're done. They tend to be chronic disorders, if you will, I hate to use that word, but it's something the child and the family, they learn to manage together over time. 
so that as you know when we do the evaluation being holding in mind that if you don't medicate a lot of these kids will continue to battle with their difficulties in some cases you might call it disabilities maybe if you're looking at ADHD across the lifespan or anxiety and depression and the negative impacts that that has on their developing social worlds. Because what you want to see is the children continuing to hit their developmental milestones. In the beginning of their preschool, the beginning of social interaction, social skills, how to be in a milieu, interact appropriately with other kids. And through elementary school, getting a, a sense of accomplishment building a kind of a, that strong sense of self and being able to interact and create valuable kind of work in their own minds. And, and then there's through middle school and high school, that sense of a young adult and being able to go out into the world and be successful. But a lot of these conditions that kids get and kids get conditions like adults do. I mean, children get diabetes, children get all kinds of chronic kinds of things that can hold themselves back. Now let's take ADHD, for example. Kids with ADHD, oftentimes their hyperactivity, their impulsivity can hold them back in preschool because they're not able to interact appropriately and they, in that learning had to be part of something larger than themselves. And you find teachers start to scapegoat them and other kids don't want to play with them. And you start seeing kids falling off their developmental line and start underachieving and start internalizing that sense of, okay, that I'm not a good kid, that I am messing up. Take a kid that has depression or anxiety, how crippling that can be in their development through elementary school, with early, early elementary school <clears throat> with separation anxiety. Some kids with anxiety disorders, that starts in early childhood, starting with the ability to separate from mom and dad and go to school. And then in the classroom, where their anxiety is such that they're too scared to interact. They don't raise their hand. They don't participate. So they're having a problem making friends and being a part of that group experience, which is school. And that can affect have seen through early childhood or I see college students. They go off to college and their social anxiety is such that they end up hiding out kids that, that have, might have HD, they might do well in elementary and they end up in college, they because they're on their smarts, but they get into college and having to juggle all the abstract on their own, their, their college experience, it, they, they start to flail. So what we want to do is look at these children, kind of where they're at, but also what's their mental trajectory at this point. And this, if they're starting to fall off, you might want to think, okay, now's the time to intervene. And when we do intervene, we intervene with therapy. We would intervene also with the medications, because as I said before, it's not just with the pills. For example, the kids with ADHD and anxiety disorders, I'm using those two examples because they tend to be chronic. Um, they're gonna need support, academic support through the IEP, um, social support, learning how to interact and make friends, and so on, on through college. When they go to college, they often have their IEP goes along with them. And 
the kids as they go old, grow older, learn to manage their own conditions, let's say. And as, as they get older, the kids become advocates for themselves and become self-advocating and they take over from the families and are able to support themselves and take care of their own disabilities and flourish, hopefully. And that's what we're all hoping for. Anyway, do you want, is that enough? Well, that is, that is fantastic information. Um, do you usually inquire with parents, you know, what measures they've taken to this point? Um, I remember very clearly before we medicated Ryan in elementary school that the question came up, have we exhausted all the controls we could must that, that we could control environmentally, whatever we can control environmentally, and then worked with a behaviorist and sure. had behavior plans and still his behavior and anxiety exceeded everything that we had put into place and hit a crisis point. And so, you know, we had tried everything that we could, had consulted with the experts and we just got to the point where we felt like we had to medicate that not that we wouldn't stop trying to do everything we can environmentally and working with a behaviorist, but we just needed one more, one more piece to the mix to really stabilize him. Sure. And particularly for young kids, you always want to work behaviorally first and see how far you can get with the behavioral support, the academic support, But that being said, I think it's important, too, to keep in mind not to wait too long, because I've seen a lot of families where they really are holding off and holding off, and nobody likes to medicate their kids. It is kind of scary for a lot of families, and sometimes they might wait too long, and that falling off of their trajectory makes it harder to catch up. Could you share a little bit about how trying medication is very much a trial and error process and what works for one kid may not work for another kid and what dose may be appropriate for a 10 year old might be more than for a 20 year old. It's so individual how kids respond and that um, could you just shed some light on that? Because I know there are parents who might try something and Oh, it didn't work and they quit or they try something and there's, side effects. So they quit and they say, forget it. I'm not, I'm done. So could you kind of speak to that? Absolutely. It's a process and it does take a lot of trial and there's no kind of indicator or blood test or one, even one psychological test that'll say, take that medication. Mm -hmm. It is a process of trial and error. And I think that a lot of it depends on, too, on the relationship between the psychiatrist and the family. You have to build that feeling of trust and kind of hang in there. You need to come anxiety disorder, for example. You always might have that tendency in a certain situation for the anxieties to pop up again. So a lot of kids, they might be good to go. You know, mm-hmm. They might have made a lot of progress. And they might be good for a couple of years, five, 10 years. Oftentimes they hear them coming back, which isn't a sense of failure, though, either. It's just that at a certain point in their lives, the stressors come back. 
or different stressors as you go through your lifespan. I mean, the stressors of moving away from home, the stressors of being in the first relationship, the stressors of being a parent, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why it's good to have that relationship long-term with somebody you work with. So it's building trust to hang in there with the trials and trying having to try this and try that. And then have someone that you have that relationship with that you can carry with you. That's great advice. What I appreciated too about your knowledge and skills and expertise is that you really, really know medications and you know the nuances and the differences and, and um, Dr. Braslow is Ryan's psychiatrist and mm-hmm. for many years now and when we've gone through different phases with Ryan with particular behaviors and we had to change things, like you really know medications and I've experienced other psychiatrists and it's, it's, they're, they're not all the same. And so I just, I I share that because I think if, if there are moms listening or parents listening and they are seeking medication and interviewing psychiatrists are trying different ones out. It's just really important to find someone who is just not quickly, you know, handing off a prescription, but really, really listens to the details about your child. Well, thank you. I appreciate that, Jessica, because that's been hard one actually on my part, because I really didn't have that kind of background in, in medicine, quote unquote, mm-hmm. but, but I've had a lot of experience working with these kids and listening to the families and working with the medications. Because I think that my knowledge comes from that interaction between what the medication is and the milieu. And mm-hmm. I think that's what makes the medication effective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That understanding. It's not just, he has this disorder, fix this it fits these DSM boxes and that equals this medication. It's a lot lot more nuanced than that. Mm -hmm. And right now we're still, we're in the middle of COVID-19. It's July. And I'm just curious if you are busier than ever, um, do you see the underlying anxiety and depression exacerbated by the isolation and the massive disruption to schedules and routines and school life in your practice? Are you seeing a great increase? I am seeing an increase that I think what's interesting in the strong families that I see, the kids aren't really all that disturbed because they think the parents have it handled. It might be kind of a foolish notion Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. at our politics. And I I see a lot more adults that are struggling with their anxiety. But that, again, I do see a lot of kids that do feel that something's wrong. And somehow the grown-ups aren't taking care of things. Mm -hmm. So I am busier than ever. Mm. And over your years of practicing, how many years have you been practicing, Dr. Breslow? Oh, my gosh. Probably, oh, maybe 25, 30 years. Because I started out... Teaching, I was on the faculty at UCLA for four years. And then I switched over to USC, and USC has a teaching clinic, which is part of their medical school at LA Child Guidance Clinic, which is one of the big child guidance clinic in LA area. And so I was medical director of that. And so while I was supervising residents, teaching residents, that's when I started my private practice. 
So I've been doing, I've been now doing medicine, doing psychiatry, maybe 20, God, I hate to count, 25, 30 years, maybe. Wow. Uh, wow. So been, I've been doing this a while. Yes. Uh, quite a while. And have you seen things change in terms of, you know, the stigma with uh, children or teens getting help? And I know that so many people that are you know, advocates in the world of mental health are really, really trying to change that. Um, because if, if the chemistry of your brain is such that um, you battle depression, anxiety, or have ADHD, we should treat it like it's diabetes. It's not like pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get it together, you know, um, that we should have the same sort of compassion and care to someone who's battling anything else that's chronic going on with the body or neurology or what mm -hmm. have you. Have you seen a change from when you started to now? I've seen some. I think it is getting better, but the stigma is still there. It's still, yeah, the stigma is still out there. And you see it reflected in the whole system of the mental health. I mean, the whole medical system, there's what we call parity, is they're not respecting mental health and treating it the way you just described as a chronic disorder of like like diabetes, you know, mm -hmm. you know, that needs long-term maintenance and treatments and treating it on the same level as some of the medical issues. So you see that kind of lack of parity even embedded in the medical system itself. Mm. And I want to say, too, is another pressure, particularly because luckily, because I don't have to be, because I'm not a part of an HMO, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of pressure from the medical economics to do the kind of what they call the 15, 20-minute, half-hour medication evaluation, 10-minute med checks, and the pressure of the medical system to process these stops these patients through. So their patients become, in a sense, reified. They become their disorder. And, oh, here comes my depression. And now here comes my ADHD. And you just see it in terms Well, yeah, that's, that's so disappointing. What would you propose to moms and advocates out there who are really, really... Uh, trying to give voice to changing the stigma. I think exactly what, I mean, what you're doing is a great example, Jessica, is advocate in the community. And I think community activism, getting the moms together, creating that voice is a big, big part of it. I think that that's super important. Oh, I mean, that's one you. place to come through. Politically, you know, who do we elect through the school board? What kind of... How, how, what kind of importance are we giving to the school system? Because that's a big interface, one of the biggest between the mental health system and the kids is the school system, of course. And how do we fund the schools? And how, is, how are like teachers even like viewed in the society in terms of how they're reimbursed, what kind of support they're given? Mm -hmm. So support communities, I think, is some of the best ways to advocate. That's great advice. I certainly hope that more and more schools are really tapping into the need. I wish we had a required class or two in middle school and high school along 
the lines of mental health. I think that would make a tremendous difference. And I think there's, there's a lot we need to arm our kids with. And I wish it was part of the, the curriculum. I mean, maybe we're a long ways off, I think. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think there's a growing awareness, but it's not being it's not being showed up in terms of the dollars being spent and the support being made. Right. People are talking about bullying. People are talking about mental health in schools, but mm-hmm. it needs to be funded and supported. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so to anyone who's listening, who is thinking, I need to find a psychiatrist. We've got listeners all over, not just the South Bay. Do you think parents should go first to their pediatricians, to who they recommend, if they really don't have a network of moms in their area to ask? But that's the first stop that one can make. And I think that the pediatrician is that a person with whom a good pediatrician is someone who's developed these kinds of relationships as well. And I think a good pediatrician that does have these connections with the family and the child will make the proper referrals. So it is a place to start. Okay. Okay. That's good to hear. Cause I know, you know, there, are, we have a Facebook group for, for we are brave together. And so the majority of our membership is in the South Bay. So very often we, you know, we have moms who ask for referrals for all kinds of specialists, including psychiatrists, psychologists, therapists. So I'm grateful that we have that one network, but there isn't always that network everywhere across the United States, but I hope, I hope that spreads for sure. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Brazo, for your time today and your expertise and your heart for working with kids and teenagers and families. I really appreciate your time today. Well, thank you, Jessica. As always, I enjoy working with you, talking with you. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day and we will see each other again soon. Sure. Okay. Bye-bye for now. We'll talk again. Bye-bye for now. Thanks. Hi, friends. Thank you so much for being with us today. And I hope you enjoyed our time with Dr. Braslow. Here is our quote for today. What mental health needs is more sunlight, more candor, more unashamed conversation. If you have not subscribed yet to this podcast, please do so. Leave us a review and share with other mothers who are seeking support and inspiration for life in the trenches of motherhood. We will drop new episodes every Wednesday. And if you have not joined our community, please do so by going to wearebravetogether.com and filling out the little pop-up form. We have a tribe of moms waiting for you.